Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Every episode, we invite a guest to join us to talk about a heat rock, you know, fire, flammables, an album that burns eternally. And today, we'll be deep diving together into the 1974 album by New Orleans Meters Rejuvenation. I wanna go. Art Neville, Ziggy Modeliste, Greg Porter Jr., Leon Nelson Telly, and Lowell George. These are names you should remember. Men who, alongside producer Alan Toussaint, handled Sonics on the Meters' 1974 rejuvenation. The Meters, New Orleans' house band, purveyors of funk and all kinds of other instrumental wizardry, got together as one nation under a groove at Sea Saint Studios to put together an album book ended by two scorchers. People say, to open the album and Africa to close. To say that this album is stank-face-inducing would be understating things quite dramatically. Listening to this is a whole-body experience. It's just wrong to relegate its power to the upper regions. That said, one thing about the meters, everything they do gonna be funky, and this album is no exception. According to the BBC, quote, if you only wish ever to hear one Swamp Soul album, then make it this. Rejuvenation is the epitome of groove-laden, hook-rich, in-your-face funk. Its swagger and strut make it sound remarkably contemporary to 21st century ears. End quote. Usually in these intros, we drop in stats and trinkets, awards and numbers of records sold. In the case of this album, those things aren't as important as what felt like to me the most pristinely engineered and executed jam session with a core group of musicians who understood exactly what their specialty was. That specialty, funk, defined as a genre who de-emphasizes melody and chord progressions and focuses instead on a strong rhythmic groove of a bass line played by an electric bassist and a drum played by a drummer, often at slower tempos than other popular music. This one had me at the intros. The early piano of Hey, Pocky Away, the background vocals of Love Is For Me, the drums in Jungle Man. The meters had time, y'all. Deciding on tracks like it ain't no use that five minutes of funk, shouts to Houdini, weren't quite enough, so they gave you 11. I hope I've said enough here to encourage you to listen to this episode and further bump or rebump rejuvenation. I came away from it determined that despite my math woes, funk should be measured by the meters. Yeah, come to jungle, man. Rejuvenation was the album pick of our guest today, Melissa A. Weber, a.k.a. DJ Soul Sister. I am a big fan of people whose instinctive interests and talents lead them to travel down myriad paths of rhythm. Shout out to Tribe Called Quest. And in that regard, Weber might be one of the most impressive multitaskers that I've met. By day, she's the curator of the Hogan Jazz Archive at Tulane University, one of the greatest repositories for the study of jazz music in the country, and an indispensable resource for those interested in the history of the music of the Crescent City. By night, she's DJ Soul Sister, aka the queen of Rare Groove, who's been hosting the weekly Soul Power radio show on WWOZ 90.7 FM in New Orleans for the past quarter century. And shout out to all the 90.7 FMs out there. That's where I got my start in the Bay Area. Anyways, Weber's resume is the stuff of legend, having played the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, open for Shaka Khan, and on the request of the man himself, DJ'd George Clinton's 71st birthday. We, we might need to get some stories about that one. As an all-around musical maven, it is our delight and honor to have her with us today. Melissa Weber, welcome to Heat Rocks. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. If I'm not mistaken, you grew up in New Orleans. Yes. So I imagine you heard the meters music going far back. We, we don't talk about age around here, but again, I'm just going to assume that you were introduced to them at an early point. Do you even remember the first time you remember hearing anything from the meters? Oh, yeah. I, um, I'm born and raised in New Orleans. Uh, I don't mind 
telling my age. So I was born in 1975, right? Rejuvenation album by the meters comes out in 1974. And I remember my dad had the fire on the Bayou album. That was from 1975. He had the Trick Bag album from 1976. Well, he had that on 8-Track. And he had the New Directions album, uh, which was their final album in 1977. And I used to play play the Fire on the Bayou album. I had a pet turtle. I would play it for my pet turtle. And, And I remember also my parents came to pick me up early uh, from preschool uh, on a Friday afternoon to bring me to Jazz Fest, and he was playing that Trick Bag um, eight track in the in the in the truck when we went there. So I have little memories like that. But he did not have Rejuvenation. Interesting absence, actually, considering how you know every every other album from that same era, but just not that one. Yeah, yeah, I, I have my my opinion about that, but. You know, I I think that might be because on the Fire on the Bayou album, there was a song called They All Asked for You. That's the proper spelling. They all asked for you, of course, in the song and how we say it is they all asked for you. And uh, <laughs> that was a popular one down here. It's kind of country sounding song where they talk yeah. about going to the Audubon Zoo. So <laughs> anyway, Morgan, how about for you? Uh, sad to say that I'm, I came to, uh, the meters late and, uh, came to them maybe a decade ago, mm-hmm. um, and came to them the back way through Lee Dorsey. Mm. And I came to them through Lee Dorsey because I was looking for songs for Selma. Yeah. And of course, as you know, we were staying in 1965 yeah. and I stumbled upon a song called, Can You Hear Me? And I was like, good Lord, who is Lee Dorsey? And, and who is Alan Toussaint? Yeah. Those are the two questions that I came away from like, yo, this is so funky. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I know you hear me. Now damn it, don't you hear me? Hey, hey. Hey, it's all right. Mm-hmm. We didn't end up using it. Uh, but it was definitely in mind because it was all 1965. And so then I just went down the rabbit hole of trying to get into just in, in general, the music of New Orleans, uh, the meters included, but Irma Thomas, of course, of course uh, yeah. I, into gospel. So I was into Raymond Miles and so it, and the meters. So it was just this whole education. So sad to say I came late, but uh, better, better late than never, I say. For me, I almost certainly heard the meters being sampled before I ever heard any of their actual music. And I feel like they were one of the first artists outside of the James Brown and P-Funk camp to have their their entire catalogs heavily rated by producers in the late 80s and and certainly through the, the 90s. I think one of the earliest examples I remember hearing would have been Heavy D's Girls They Love Me, which uses the meters, uh, what, 1969 song, Thinking. But it wasn't until Rhino Records released the Funkify Your Life anthology, and that was in, from 95, that I spent any kind of quality time with their songs. I, I'm pretty sure it was uh, maybe Jeff Chang told me, you got to go listen to the, this meters uh, comp. And I, I mean, it was, it was mind-blowing. It was a real holy cow moment uh, for me because I didn't realize just, number one, how deep that catalog ran, but just the essence of funkiness that they capture uh, that's in that anthology, that's all across their music from the 60s and 70s, um, it, it felt revelatory to me. Um, and we can certainly come back to this this point in a, a little bit later, but what also strikes me thinking about this, uh, this album and the group in this moment is that in the, in the late 60s, you had all of these different groups across the country that were producing just incredible instrumental funk music. So you think about Cool and the Gang when they first got started in Jersey City. You think about Funk Incorporated in Indianapolis. Out here in LA, it would have been the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band. But I think with all due respect to those other wonderful groups, pound for pound, the meter's output puts them to me at the head of the pack. 
And Melissa, I'm especially curious to ask you this because as you are, you know, you're literally a curator of the cultural and musical heritage of New Orleans, one of the greatest musical cities on the planet. What do the meters mean for the city and its people? Wow. <laughs> I know. I know it's a big question, but I, I feel like we can't, we, I mean, it's so, they're so central to the history of, of New Orleans music of the 20th century. I, I just don't, I, I feel we, we need, we need to have the insider's knowledge here on this one. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that is, that is the question because I personally don't believe that enough people know their legacy. I really don't I, at all. And, um, you know, it's a it's an issue with New Orleans music culture and and study of it. F up to the seventies, you know, you have a lot of of uh, people invested in in learning about what makes New Orleans music special. And then after nineteen seventy, and especially after nineteen seventy five, with some exceptions, this you know. In, this drops down uh, quite a bit in the 1970s. There's almost no real studies on New Orleans funk, New Orleans disco, New Orleans R&B, uh, even early New Orleans rap. So um, what do the meters mean to New Orleans? They are part of our legacy of groundbreaking music that influenced the world, except the world has not caught up yet to the greatness. Mm. So we ask this uh, all the time at the top of the show, but why Rejuvenation? Why this album? And what makes it a heat rock for you? Well, you know, personally, I have more, you know, childhood memories of Fire on the Bayou from 1975. Like I said, my dad had the album. I played it for my pet turtle. But <laughs> Rejuvenation from 74, uh, that is generally considered to be the most critically acclaimed out of all of the meters uh, 1970s albums. So the ones on Reprise and then the final one for Warner Brothers. And when I I switch back and forth between Josie and Reprise to give a bit of context. You know, uh, the Meters started recording for Josie Records in 1969. They record their self-titled debut and Look a Pie Pie and then Strutton in 1970. Those are wholly instrumental albums quick right. short numbers very popular and very successful and then and at that time the meters were the house man for alan toussaint producer alan toussaint and then his business partner marshall seahorn and then uh george porter jr was quoted as saying he didn't want the group or he hoped the group would not be uh pigeonholed as an instrumental band so Josie Records shuts down in 1971. They sign with Reprise, uh, division of Warner Brothers Records, and then they start this new chart, this new, uh, this new path. Uh, and the differences in the music on Reprise, the songs are more experimental. They're influenced by rock and fusion. Right. Uh, bit more New Orleans influences revealed. There's more soloing happening. There's lead vocals, which was yes. not a thing on those Josie albums and much, much longer songs. Um, Rejuvenation, in fact, uh, the song, It Ain't No Use, that song's almost 12 minutes long, you know? And so why is, if I, to say what makes Rejuvenation a heat rock for me, I could just say It Ain't No Use by itself. <laughs> that song by itself. Yeah. yeah. If you get all 
to the end because that's the thing. You have to listen all the way to the end. And they start doing, you know, uh, interacting with each other. And, and the interplay between the musicians um, is, is outstanding. You know, you can tell that's, that's just live in the studio. There's no overdubbing. There's no charts. That's just feeding off of each other. It's a beautiful, beautiful sound. You know, in prep for this chat and just since diving into the meters and studying um, them and, and Alan in prep for Selma, all of the stuff I read about Alan and the meters, even today, is that they were responsible for creating the sound of New Orleans music, the sound of New Orleans. And I just want to hear from you as a curator, as a native, as someone who spent the time with this. What is the sound of New Orleans that they created? Because everyone has their perspectives. But I want to hear from you because we're talking about the meters what is it? And just break it down to me in a real Fisher Price level. <laughs> or you, you can go deep scholarship, but for, for but I'd love to hear it at the very base level for those that are that maybe listen to this that are just coming to know them and their sound. What is that sound? What is that thing? Well, you know, Alan Toussaint is is very well loved, well respected, and rightfully so. Um, he he does have a specific sound uh, that is the essence of New Orleans rhythm and blues, especially, I mean, starting in the 1960s and going forward, you know, we can, we can trace and talk about the Alan Toussaint sound as being the sound of New Orleans rhythm and blues from the 1960s forward. Um, New Orleans music, you know, there are very many definitions and many, many um, theses on that. Uh, New Orleans, the New Orleans sound has a lot of call and response, crowd participation, improvisation, um, polyphonic rhythms, uh, music that is meant for for uh, enjoyment of the spectator, not just the musician. Right. Uh, the meters come in and bring in New Orleans funk. And I really want to say something important about Alan Toussaint and his involvement, or as some of the members of the meters would say, lack of involvement in their albums. Uh, Alan Toussaint is credited as a producer on all their recordings. However, knowing the Alan Toussaint sound, it's not really prevalent on meters recordings as that sound is on other productions. And the reason why is because a couple of the meters members have been quoted as saying when they were in the studio, Alan Toussaint would come by, or maybe he wouldn't come by, but he would never give any direction. So mm -hmm. I consider those recordings to mostly, mostly be self-produced. You know, there are a few horn arrangements here and there from Alan Toussaint where I can hear that Alan Toussaint sound. But generally speaking, uh, Alan Toussaint's role as a producer is, as what has been explained to me, sometimes the producer doesn't even... Uh, um, add to the sound at all. The, the producers might just be responsible for getting the studio prepared or something like that. So that's how I look at Alan Toussaint's role as producer with, uh, producer with the meters recording, as opposed to uh, the work he did with Chocolate Milk in the late 1970s, where he's actually co-writing songs with Chocolate Milk. And you can really hear that Alan Toussaint sound in their music. You don't, I, I personally don't really hear it that much in the meters recordings. I just love this conversation. I feel like I'm just getting a master class and uh, I mean, it's fantastic. So thank you so much for bringing all this to the, the floor. Um, one of the things I wanted to cycle back to real quick, and I really i am glad you brought it up because I was saying earlier about how when the meters got started with those Josie recordings, they were in a way that was similar to like Cool and the Gang, um, the Watts 130 Street Rhythm Band, primarily instrumental groups. But by this stage of their career, you know, once they're on reprise, it's the mid seventies. It's when Art Neville really becomes the group's lead singer for a group that previously was not 
I mean, was thought of, as you said before, thought of as primarily an instrumental group. And it really, of course, changes the, the, the whole sound of the group once you have such prevalent vocals. And this is the same thing you see with Cool Nigging. They, you know, they, they begin having vocals. You have Charles Wright and yeah. James Gadsden trading vocals on the Watts, the Watts albums. Um, you know, all these different groups make this transition. Um, the meter's no difference. And so I, I don't want to arbitrarily separate an album like Rejuvenation from let's say an album like Strutton. I mean, yes, there's about five or six years in between and groups are going to evolve, but I do think that the very sound of it, even though on an instrumental level, you can identify, you know, Zigaboo Modalese drums are still very consistent between those two and, and just the, the rhythm section, but adding those vocals really changes the, the, the tenor and timbre, literal timbre, right. Of the songs that you're getting. And I feel like it's, it represents the group in a whole different transition phase uh, once you get to the rejuvenation part of their of their career, yeah, absolutely. I mean, from Cabbage Alley on, it was that was the new instrument is vocals, and unfortunately, none of the uh, liner notes for any of those albums give us any indication of who is singing on what. But I can actually identify everybody's vocals. So, okay. <laughs> so, All right. You know, <laughs> so, so on, yes, yes. Yeah, well, on that note, Christian, can you play Love Is For Me real quick? And then, Melissa, who's singing on this? Because I assumed it was Art Neville, but maybe not. But let's, let's hear it first. It's all these things I see in you. Yes, the lead vocal on that is Art Neville. So you you guessed right. And Art Neville has that very warm, soulful voice. Most yeah. of the lead vocals on Rejuvenation are either Art Neville or Zigaboo Modaliste, in addition to his drumming. And Zigaboo's vocal is is this sharp kind of power punch, you know. So for instance, Zig is singing on People Say. That's his lead vocal. And also related to vocals, uh, for Fire on the Bayou in 1975, that's when Cyril Neville, Art Neville's little brother, joins the group as an official member. And he is primarily a vocalist, also percussion, primarily a vocalist. So you start hearing his voice. And then on Trick Bag, Leo Nocentelli starts singing leads. And George Porter Jr. can sing too. So they can all sing, but we just never knew who was singing what because the liner notes did not tell us. I'm always been a little surprised that, it, you know, obviously Art Neville is one of the Neville brothers who are some of the, which include some of the greatest vocalists, period. And I would have expected he would have invited some of his brothers to come into the studio. I mean, maybe they're, they might be singing backup, but it always surprised me that there was not more Neville brothers uh, vocalization on some of these albums. Obviously they had their own careers as, as Neville brothers to, to work with as well, but you would have thought that, yeah, it, you would have gotten some of his uh, siblings in the mix here. Well, you, you, you bring up a good topic because uh, Art's brothers, Cyril and Aaron Neville, yes, uh, they both were originally in the group that was pre-the meters known as Art Neville and the Neville Sounds. Yeah, right, right. And mm -hmm. uh, they used to play uh, with the meters rhythm section behind them. And then they started doing shows on Bourbon Street at the Ivanhoe Club. And apparently uh, there wasn't enough space to have everybody on the, on, on the tiny stage. So Cyril and, and Aaron moved on to do their own thing. And that is how Art Neville and the Neville Sounds, you know, tightened up, you know, playing regularly on Bourbon Street. And then Alan Toussaint discovered them there. And then the meters mm. becomes a thing. I'm just trying to imagine someone like, of course, you know, Aaron Neville's voice is so distinctive and so signature. Yes. Like, could you, I'm trying to imagine him singing over, let's say a meters rhythm section backed song of this era. And it's, it's a little hard to, I mean, there's a few examples. I guess Hercules would be one, uh, which came, I want to say earlier in the seventies, maybe late sixties, but by and large, you don't think of 
you don't think of Aaron Neville associated with that kind of funkiness, though I might be disregarding uh, elements from his catalog that I'm, I'm forgetting. I was just going to say for the rest of the day, I'll be thinking about, I'll be hearing Aaron Neville's voice in my head and trying to picture that voice on something like the like a meter's album because to your point Oliver, i just can't i can't reconcile the two when i came to know aaron neville it might have been in the 80s and there was like a song that kept being played it was like a duet that kept coming up on the radio you're thinking of the, his duet with linda ronstadt don't know much don't know <laughs> that's the one and that was that's a jam that was it a jam. was a jam sometimes i see so clearly the only truth I've ever known me and you. Look at this man. Look up a song called Dance Your Blues Away. This was a song that was released by the Neville Brothers in 1979, single only, so not not on an LP. Didn't even sound like any of the the recordings that the Neville brothers were putting out on LP. And uh, the reason why people credit it to Ivan Neville uh, and Ivan is Aaron's son is because the Neville brothers name was only uh, included on the sleeve, the paper sleeve for the album. So 20 years later, if someone is throwing away the paper sleeve, the words, the Neville brothers were not included on the, the uh, record label itself, only the writer's names. And Ivor wrote that song. And that's a funky number. And, and all of the Neville brothers are singing on that. And there's a live uh, version of that from 79 uh, that you see all of the brothers singing on that. So that, that's a good example of how all the brothers you know, blended into into whatever sound they needed to to do. Oh, do your thing, dance and sing, do what you wanna do, cause it's alright. Get on the floor and let's dance some more. Do what you feel, cause tonight it's alright. We will be back with more of our conversation with Melissa Weber about the meter's rejuvenation after a brief word from some of our sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably, even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares, only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your News Overload, available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, are you someone who thinks that when one door closes, another one opens? Someone who always sees the light at the end of the tunnel. If you answered yes to one or both of these questions, good for you. We are not those people. Nope. I'm Annabelle Gerwich, and I'm a, you know that other door opening? It probably leads to a broom closet kind of person. And I'm Laura House. When I see a light at the end of a tunnel, I assume it's a train headed right toward me. Laura and I have created a brand new podcast for people like us. It's called Tiny Victories. We're sharing personal tiny victories or things we've read or seen that inspire resilience. So if you're looking for a tiny reason to get out of bed each week, subscribe to Tiny Victories. Available on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get tiny. Heat Rockers, if you recall back in October when we were celebrating our third anniversary, we mentioned that we had gotten some custom 45 adapter slash weights made featuring Megan Cott's pin design from last year for Heat Rocks. Well, for a limited time, we have those adapters now available for sale to anyone who wants them. You can find them through our website at heatrockspod.com. 
all profits from the sale will be donated to the LA Downtown Women's Center. I need to stress that this is a limited time sale, mostly because we need to make a bulk order to get these produced and shipped back to us from the good folks at the SureShot shop. Again, our special Heat Rocks 45 adapter slash weights are now available. Visit heatrockspod.com to order. Thank you for supporting us and for supporting the Downtown Women's Center. And we are back on Heat Rocks talking about the Meters 1972 album rejuvenation with our guest, Melissa Weber, a.k.a. DJ Soul Sister. Before we get back to the Meters and rejuvenation, Melissa, I got to ask, because I mentioned this at the, at the very top with my intro to you, what was it like DJing for George Clinton for his birthday? <laughs> we got to know. We got to know, Melissa. Yeah, I mean, so it was his either 70th or 71st birthday, and he lives in Florida, and it was on, they they decided to do it on St. George Island. Oh, wow. And it was, I think, either after a tour had just ended, or they were on a stop or something, so all of the band members were there, friends and family were there, but it was outdoors, and there was a torrential, torrential rain pour. I mean, bad. So I was on the stage doing my thing. And then all of a sudden thunder lightning, it was like a hurricane and everyone ran for cover. And I'll never forget it. I was playing um, at the time that the skies opened. Uh, I want you the version by Eddie Hazel. And <laughs> it was, it, it, it was, it was it was deep, but George was having a good time. George is, you know, uh, a, a dear person who I love and his wife, Carlon and his family. And um, but unfortunately, during my set, it was mostly rain. So the rain stopped. And then his his uh, his nephew, Sadi, uh, started playing. And, and I just got to party and hang out with everyone. So. <laughs> I'm curious, hopefully without divulging too much here, did he have any must plays, but equally interesting, did he have any please don't play this? Oh, gosh, no, 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 nothing like that. George, um, George loves music. But what I realized, though, because during my set, I was playing a lot of P-Funk stuff. And I, I, you know, stupidly was like, oh, yeah, George wants to hear his own music all night long. (laughs) And um, when his nephew started playing, he was he started playing like a lot of 1950s doo-wop. And I'm like, of course, Mm. that's George's Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. That's George's thing. So, you know, everyone loved some aspect of it. But if I had to do it again, I would not play as much P-Funk music. All right. We have to ask, as we do all guests, Melissa, what is your fire track? From this album hmm wow well I already mentioned it ain't no use that's my favorite track of the album but since I already mentioned it uh, I'm gonna say just kiss my baby and I will tell you the the way I first learned about that song and even this album because like I said before my dad had Fire on the Bayou, Trick Bag, and New Directions. He didn't have Rejuvenation. He didn't have Cabbage Alley or the the Josie LPs. I learned about Just Kiss My Baby and the Rejuvenation LP through a sample, uh, Public Enemy, uh, and their debut album, Yo Bum Rush the Show, uh, the song Time Bomb from I was in middle school then, and I I was really into looking up song samples. Even then, as as a little girl, I've always been a music nerd. And uh, that's how I learned about um, Rejuvenation and this meter song. I don't know how, because at that time, uh, the rap artists were not, you know, giving uh, song credits to the original songwriters, but somehow I figured it out. I just don't remember how. Cause I just kissed my baby. And 
Oliver. Same. You know, it's for, for one, as I think, as Melissa just said, it's, it's, you know, it's one of the most sampled songs off the LP. Um, but beyond just the use of it, it's just the way that it opens with that little squealing guitar lick uh, from Leo. It's just so, to me, irresistible. Um, and also going back to the point about Public Enemy using it, I can't hear it, that opening, and not also hear Chuck D's voice uh, and, and how he opens Time Bomb. Uh, you know, with that song. And so those two things in my, in my musical brain always fit together. You, you can't, I can't hear one without the other. So yeah, that it's gotta be that. Hmm, yeah. And, and if I could call another one sure. too, Africa off of that album. Yes. P-Funk fans love that song because they're quick to say, well, uh, in 1985, the Red Hot Chili Peppers like repurposed that and interpolated it, to, it called it Hollywood on their Freaky Siley LP, which was produced by George Clinton and featured P-Funk. So we even now have P-Funk doing a meter song. So that's the closest we get to that. Take a Morgan, how about for you? Uh, you know, we've been doing this so long, but I always hate this question because um, I love and hate it because it's so hard to choose and I hate having to, to narrow it down to one. But for me, it's Hey Pocky Away. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. This was a hard choice. And go with me here. It's, it's You know, it's not the tidiest metaphor, but listen, it's all I have. It felt like listening to Neapolitan ice cream. Because I could hear, go with me. Yeah. I could, I was focused on the piano, mm -hmm. even though there were so many things going on musically and just like every other song in their catalog, musicianship par excellent, right? But it, I felt like I was so attached to the piano that I could hear it above and even through everything else. So it's like Neapolitan, no matter what flavor you like, you're going to fixate on one, right? And so that's where I was with it. It was the piano that kept enticing me. I felt like I had a relationship with the piano through that song. And that's incredible to me because every musician gave it all on this album. But the piano was the thing that to me was so distinct on this song that it felt like the other instruments played in support of the piano. So for me, I just kept coming back to, to that one. I'm with you on... Uh, on Africa, and I can talk about that later. But Hey Pocky Away was just a thing of beauty for me. Yeah. Hey, Neapolitan. I love that. Hey, you know, Hey Pocky Away, that song is essentially the essence of New Orleans music for me. And I didn't call it because it's almost like it. It's unfortunate, you know, Hey Pocky Away is so good and in New Orleans so legendary and, and right now, we're in carnival time, carnival season. So we're going to start hearing Hey Pocky Way from now until Mardi Gras Day, like nonstop. Uh, Rejuvenation album was released in July in 1974, nowhere near Mardi Gras. And the song was not meant to be like a Mardi Gras carol, so to speak, sort of like Michael Jackson's Thriller song. You know, that song was not released at Halloween, though over the years it's turned into like the Halloween song. So no one wants to listen to it until it's Halloween. It's almost like that for uh, for me about Hey Pocky Way. It's a brilliant song, but I know they're going to slam it down uh, during, you know, the months up until Mardi Gras Day that, you know, I almost unfortunately have put it in this Mardi Gras time box when in actuality, it is just one of the brilliant songs on this LP, which was released in the summertime.
I, I don't mean to keep treating you as the New Orleans uh, native informant. Actually, I do because you're from there. You're the you're curator of New Orleans music. <laughs> so actually, I do intend to do this. Can you just briefly explain uh, for the audience about the importance of the second line? Because I think one of the things when I first learned about this song and why it was such an anthem, a Mardi Gras anthem, is to your point, is people kept talking about how it's it's you know the especially the drum pattern. It's so indicative of the second line tradition, and I had to learn from the bottom like what what the hell is the second line tradition? And I'm wondering if you can just explain that to our audience. You know, I, I would I, I'm going to go one further and talk about the Mardi Gras Indian tradition because that yes. even that saying, uh, "Hey, pocket way." or two-way pakiway that comes out of the Mardi Gras Indian tradition. So what, what are Mardi Gras Indians, you know, or black masking Indians? Uh, the history, it tends to vary depending on who you talk to, but we generally can trace the origins to 19th, to the 19th century. And, and one of the stories is that Native American tribes would, would take in and help runaway slaves in, in around New Orleans. That's just one story. Um, but Mardi Gras Indian tribes come out of black neighborhoods in New Orleans, usually working class. Um, there's a lot to discuss, but, it, yeah. you know, the culture of Mardi Gras itself has its origins in racism and segregation. And like all, all things, blacks create their own traditions. And then the Mardi Gras Indian tradition is just one of those traditions. You know, the, the Indians sew their own suits. Uh, it takes like a whole year to sew the suit. So for instance, if you hear a, a chant like, so, 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 that means that refers to their sewing. And then, hey, Pocky Way or two-way Pocky Way, apparently that's that stands for get the hell out the way. So on Mardi Gras Day, <laughs> if you see the, the, the gang of New Orleans Indians coming, you get the hell out the way. They don't have police protection. There's there's no route. There's no no sheet that's going to say where they're going to go on the streets. They go where they want to. So that is, uh, I know it doesn't make any sense at all, but um, that what. When you hear Hey Pocky Way by the meters, that that is the sound. That is the sound. favorite moments off this album and Morgan why don't you start us off tough choice here but it is the beginning of Africa You know, I'm always saying, you know, that phrase, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. But in the case of this song, it is how you start. And to me, it starts just so, it's so boss, it's such a flex. It's just so emphatic. That bass just is just like, it's stank face for me. And that's my favorite moment. I could go to uh, Ain't No Use because it, <laughs> that long of a guitar solo, how do you argue with that? Um, but there's something about just the raw funk and flex of the beginning of Africa that to me uh, is my favorite moment on the album. I think like you, my favorite moments are, are the openings on so many different songs on here. And if you were to force me to choose one, then I would probably go with um, the moment in which Ziggy's drums drop in on Just Kiss My Baby, which is at the beginning of the fifth bar. <laughs> I mean, it's not like it's the only example because you can talk about Jungle Man and how that opens. You can talk about Africa like Morgan just did yeah. and how it opens. What people say, it's not just the fact that how a song opens, but it's also the song that opens the album. And so automatically you're just led into this progression of each member doing what they do best and layering one by one all of these instruments on it. Thank you. 
I will never tire of listening to a song in which you have each instrument gets introduced over the course of in the first, I don't know what, eight, 16 bars or so. It's just, um, you know, Memphis Soul Stew does that. It's just, it's fantastic. Um, and I, I got to give an honorable mention too, and this was something that Morgan, you were talking about earlier about the beginning of Hey Pocky Way and the interplay between um, Ziggy's drum pattern and then that jangling piano from Art Neville, because the way that that combination just gets me every time as well. Melissa, how about you? Do you have any favorite moments on this album? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to go back to It Ain't No Use. And at the end, when when Zigaboo Modaliste and uh, Leo Nocentelli are having this conversation between drums and, and guitar, it just blows my mind every time I hear it. particular mm. excerpt also has George Porter Jr. on the bass. I have to shout them out. And then Art Neville on, on keys, too. And I um, have one more, actually. It's like an imagined favorite moment. Because whenever I think of Hey Pocky Way, and that song was released as a single by Reprise. Uh, and, you know, in the early and mid-70s, Reprise and Warner Brothers, they didn't have a great track record with promoting Black music to begin with. So I always wonder what they were thinking to promote that as a single. I'm glad they did it, but I often wonder, you know, people outside of New Orleans, what they thought when they first heard it, you know, and probably scared them to death. Like, what is this? This this makes no sense. Hey, Pocky Way. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I often like to think, you know, what people who have no idea what that sound means yeah. what what that makes them feel like you know happy scared what what is that to them all of it <laughs> <laughs> all of it if you had to describe this album the meters rejuvenation in three words what would they be mm. in three words power Swamp funk. <laughs> yes. That is one of the better ones we've gotten of late. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, before we cut out of here, we always want to live, leave our audience with something dope to step to. So we have some recommendations on what people should listen to if they really enjoyed what they heard here with Rejuvenation. Morgan, uh, you want to start us off? I would have to say, since he was my gateway drug into the meters, I'd have you go back to Lee Dorsey and mm. get into Yes, We Can. Um, as I went down the road of Lee Dorsey, that was the album that I discovered of his beyond the song and fell in love with uh, yes we can part one gets get it started there and just keep going you'll get the funk uh you'll get the soul and you will get alan toussaint so i'd say go there For me, you know, we talked, we certainly talked a lot about this output on today's show, but you got to go back to those first three albums and Josie, self-titled The Meters, uh, Look of Pie Pie and Strutton, all of which can be found on the massive anthology Getting Funkier All the Time, which contains all of the songs that they recorded from 1968 through 1977. I think the Josie recordings in particular take up the first 50 songs on that anthology. But just to get a sense, as I was saying much earlier about 
how the meters to me really capture this essence of funkiness um, at its most stripped down, sparse, but just impactful uh, energy. And last but certainly not least, Melissa, what would you recommend that people check out after rejuvenation? Well, I'm going to stay in the year 1974 and also with the meters, uh, with the album by Dr. John called Desertively Bonnaroo, which features the meters uh, rhythm section. And it's it's like the meters year 1974 rejuvenation and dr john's sensitively bonnaroo both are excellent so that's my That will do it for this episode of Heat Rocks with our special guest, DJ Soul Sister, a.k.a. Melissa A. Weber. Uh, Melissa, what are you working on right now? (laughs) Wow. What am I working on right now? Um, I have no idea. Like so many things. (laughs) Your question just sent me into a tizzy because I'm like, oh, maybe I should be working on something right now. I, I tend to look at things uh, by semester. So yeah. this this semester, I um, am working on a huge collections project uh, at the Hogan Archive, which is going through every single collection and determining what should be there, what's missing, what you know, what's not in order. That will take quite some time. Uh, there's a new liner notes project. Uh, personally that I've signed up for and um, wait, wait, wait hold up can, can you share what, what is that oh I don't know if I can share it okay yeah okay. I mean I can but I, I want it to be a surprise okay, okay. Fair, <laughs> enough. Fair, fair enough fair enough <laughs> I'm looking forward to the pop conference this spring yes. <laughs> I'm always working on, on different things you know so and where can people find you online in whatever iteration of your professional uh, identity that you want to share here? Well, um, my personal website is djsoulsister.com, and that's DJ Soul Sister with an E-R on the end. I just realized, I totally forgot to ask this, but is your DJ name after the Alan Toussaint song Soul Sister? Because that's one of my favorites by him, and it would seem likely but I, I don't want to make presumptions here no my my radio show my theme song is bold soul sister by mm. ike and tina turner ah, and that's, uh, a, that's, that's a good one too from. <laughs> yeah maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supported